Would you turn back once again with me to the book of Leviticus? Before we come to the Lord's table tonight, I want to draw your attention to the words of Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 4. Leviticus 1 and verse 4. We're taught here what it is to lay hold of the sacrifice. What does it mean to lay hold of the sacrifice? To lay hold of the sacrifice by faith and to draw nigh to God. Leviticus 1 and 4. We read, He shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. The concluding section of the book of, of Exodus from chapter 25 to chapter uh, 40 provides us with very elaborate and detailed plans of the construction of the tabernacle in the wilderness. And we read in chapter 25, verse 8 of the book of Exodus, that God would construct this sanctuary in the wilderness so that he could dwell amongst his people. What a thought. Almighty God who cannot be confined by time or space, coming to dwell in a tent and to manifest his presence amongst his people. When his ancient people were brought out, out of uh, Egypt by divine power and by shed blood, they wandered in the wilderness for some 40 years. In order to reassure them, God pledged his presence to them. And he pledged his presence not only through the tabernacle, but through the service of the Levitical priesthood that would be operative in the tabernacle. The Shekinah glory, that cloud that hovered over that, that tent, would come to rest over uh, the, the, the holiest of all. And upon its completion, God would come to dwell amongst the people. In Exodus 40, 34 to 35, we read that Moses, he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. It was only a tent. And then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The tabernacle had two apartments separated just by a veil forming the holy place and the most holy. And this was the place where God not only dwelt amongst his people and there manifest his presence but this was the place where he met with them. The book of Leviticus opens with God speaking out of the tent. That's a wonderful idea, isn't it? This place, this simple tent construction that Moses put up in the, the wilderness at the direction of the Lord was the place where God spoke to his people. We read in verse 1, the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, God speaks. If in Exodus God saved a people out of Egypt, then in Leviticus, we read that God sanctifies those that he saves and takes them through the wilderness. 
But their only way of approaching him was through sacrifice. All this very elaborate Levitical offering code. And the first offerings mentioned in chapter 1 are the burnt offerings. Very significant. God was teaching the children of Israel because the burnt offerings from the flocks, from the herds, or even from the, the birds were to be wholly consumed. They were to be wholly burnt. And what was God teaching the children of Israel? Before they could approach unto him, the way they came had to signify that his wrath for them was completely exhausted and finished. There was no more wrath. The burnt offering signified that the wrath of God was consumed. Everything that upon the everything was put upon the altar was burnt. Nothing was left. So in bringing such an offering in Leviticus 1 and verse 4, the worshipper brought the, the animal. And it could be off the herds, it could be off the flocks, it could be a little animal, a little bird, because nothing was to prevent the offer the, the worshipper coming or the offerer coming. And to meet the divine requirement in this opening sacrifice, we read that it had to be a meal without blemish. So you just couldn't offer anything to God. There are many people today think they can offer God anything. They can offer God their second best. They can offer God the things that are beyond their sell-by date. You can't do that. God would only accept that which was perfect. And the offering that God accepted as the atonement for the worshiper had to be the meal. It had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect. And the worshiper, the offerer, brought that sacrifice to the priest. And the, the, the beast was laid upon the altar. And before it was slain, the offerer had to put his hand upon the head of the animal. Contact had to be made. What an object lesson it provides for all of us. Because that burnt offering, of course, is a wonderful picture. We, we talk about types in the Old Testament. It's a wonderful type. It's a wonderful picture of the substitutionary death of God's lamb for sinners at Calvary. He was a male. He was perfect. He was the second Adam. The only Adam without blemish. And God provided for himself that perfect sacrifice so that sinners could make their approach unto him. And the way of approach unto God is just the same, brethren and sisters. It is only through the perfect sacrifice that God has provided. To the Jew of the Old Testament scriptures, by faith, they looked forward to a living sacrifice that was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, as I know you heard this morning, that taketh away the sin of the world. To you and I who live in the light of the New Testament administration of God's covenant. It's not a sacrifice to come. It's a sacrifice that has been made. Completed and finished once and for all on Calvary's center cross. We come to the Lord's table tonight. I think this is one of the most important gatherings of the church and of the Lord's people. And here by faith we reaffirm our trust in the sacrifice of God's own dear Son. The larger catechism 
In question 107, they asked the question, How do they that worthily communicate in the Lord's Supper feed upon the body and the blood of Christ their own? The answer being, as the body and blood of Christ are not corporally or carnally present in with or under the bread and wine in the Lord's Supper, and yet are spiritually present to the faith of the receiver. Here by faith, as we handle the bread, it speaks to us of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we handle the cup, that speaks to us of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here by faith, no less truly the catechism says and really than the elements themselves or to their outward senses we handle. We come into fresh contact with the sacrifice of Calvary. What are we doing tonight at this table? Well, I tell you what we're doing. By faith we're laying hold of Christ afresh. He's present. He's here. This is the only object lesson, really, that God has given to his church. This is the only object lesson. A simple table spread in front of us, the bread and the wine. And we're taken back to Calvary. And by faith we lay hands upon the sacrifice again. And we avow our allegiance to the Lamb and to the sacrifice of the Lamb for sinners slain. So there's much that you and I can learn from this action, just of the worshipper in putting his hand upon the sacrifice that was about to be slain. What all does it symbolize? What does it teach us? What are the spiritual lessons that we can apply to our hearts and lives tonight? Well, first of all, as the worshipper laid his hand upon the sacrifice, it signified confession of sin. That's important. When the devout Israelite brought that offering to be sacrificed, as he laid his hands upon it, he confessed his sin before Almighty God in the light of the sacrifice that was to be made. The very fact that he had to bring the sacrifice, it contains within it a, a confession that his life is not right. It is a confession of a lack of personal righteousness. It is a confession that there is need, spiritual need in the heart and in the life. I know this was true of the burnt uh, offering, but it was true also of the other sacrifices in the book of Leviticus. Over in chapter 16, we have the trespass offering, where the hands were laid upon the victim's head and the worshipper had to confess his sin. Uh, and this is evident in the case of the scapegoat. We read in Leviticus 16, 21-22, Aaron shall lay uh, both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. He was a representative figure, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. So one was slain and the other one was freed. And the freed goat, Aaron had to lay his hand upon it and confess his sin upon it and put the sin of the people upon it. And then that animal was laid far away from the, the, the flock of Israel. And we read, the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited. And he shall let go the goat into the wilderness. 
he was putting symbolically the sins of the people upon the innocent animal. And this little animal was then led away. And God was instructing Aaron, and through Aaron, God is instructing us that our iniquities, they were all placed upon the sacrifice. Pointing as ever to the guilt of our sin, the guilt of our sin which was placed upon the sacrifice of God's own dear son on that center tree. And what a picture. Because when sin is confessed over the sacrifice, he not only bears the punishment due to that sin, but he carries it away. I thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God that not only did he bear the guilt of our sin, but he carried it away into a land never to be returned again. There are multitudes across our land tonight, and they don't know that little word sin. And they don't know the meaning of sin. Sin is any want of transgression unto of the law of God. Sin. And those that don't know how to confess their sin before God. Sin. Unconfessed will take you to hell. Isn't that an awful thought? There are many and they try to establish their own self-righteousness before God. And to such people, the idea that one should die in their stead is a nonsense. They're, they're good enough. They don't need anybody else to get them into heaven. They'll get there in their own merit and they'll get there in their own right. But God has only provided a savior for sinners. The Lord Jesus didn't come to call the self-righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. And I want to say to you, sitting in those gospel pews tonight, there is no salvation for you. No salvation for you. If you don't confess your sin to Almighty God and seek his pardon and seek his forgiveness. The sacrifice has no meaning for those who refuse to acknowledge their sin. We sang in the metrical version from Psalm 51, the signing David's great penitential psalm. Oh, the, the, the depth of meaning in that psalm. David had just committed adultery. He was culpable of murder. He, his hands were stained with sin. His soul was heavy with the guilt of sin. And he came before Almighty God and he said, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. My sin is ever before me. He had a guilty conscience. He knew that something was wrong with his life and it could only be put right by the means of a sacrifice. He knew the Levitical order. He knew the way to the presence of God was through sacrifice. And I thank God for that sacrifice that God has provided in the person of his own dear son for guilty souls, for consciences that are laden down with guilt. Where do I direct you tonight? I'll not direct you to some confessional box in the corner of the back of the building. We don't have any. I'll not ask you to come to the manse to spill out your soul to me because it would do you no good whatsoever and it would only do me harm. I'll direct you to the eternal sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one alone who can do helpless sinners good. 
In this act of laying hands upon the sacrifice, there's a confession of helplessness. Without the, the sacrifice, the worshiper, he was, he was helpless. Uh, and we gladly confess this evening that without the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're all helpless, we're all hopeless. If Jesus hadn't have died, there is no hope for any of Adam's lost and ruined race. The word atonement that is used in the Bible, it means a covering. It's translated from the Hebrew word. To make atonement, it means to, to cover over so as not to be seen. And what a thought is suggested to us, it's in the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that we find a hiding place from the all-seeing eye of the wrath of a sin-hating God. And there's only one safe hiding place for you this evening. And it's in the wounds of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his wounds that were uh, made at Calvary for your sin and mine that you'll find a hiding place from God. Joseph Hart's hymn, we often sing it here, Come ye sinners poor and needy. Verse 6 of it says, Lo, the incarnate God ascended, pleads the merit of his blood. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord Jesus Christ ascended. He pleads the merit of his blood. Vent your on them, vent your holy. Let no other thrust intrude. None but Jesus, none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. By laying their hands on the sacrifice, the worshiper was acknowledging their just desert of punishment. They were going to witness just in a little moment after their confession they were going to witness the suffering that the sacrifice endured that they should have endured instead. But it was just because the law of God demanded the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And when a sinner by faith lays hold of Christ, they acknowledge their just desert of punishment. How can we look at Calvary and say our sin didn't deserve punishment because God punished our sin in the person of his son? Our sin deserved the eternal wrath of God outpoured upon it. We rightly deserved the, the lowest place in hell itself. But we escape it. We escape the punishment of the damned because of the one who suffered in our stead. I want you to notice this act, this putting the hand on the sacrifice. Yes, it was one of confession, but it was one of acceptance. What, were, what, what was the worshipper accepting? Well, I think primarily he was accepting the principle of what? The principle of substitution. Oh, how glorious is this biblical truth? That this animal, this sacrifice, is suffering in my stead, in my guilty room. And it's the principle of substitution that lies at the very heart of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ itself. I love all those verses. We often quoted them and shared them and preached on them to you. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died in the guilty room instead of the ungodly. We read in Verse 8, while we were yet sinners, we're personalizing it now, 
Christ died for us. Can you say that tonight? Christ died for the ungodly. I'm the ungodly. Christ died for us. And if you're to be saved, this is a principle. You do have to embrace. You know, when people come to Christ, I don't ask them to sign up to the distinctives of the Free Presbyterian Church. That will not save your soul. But here's one, here's one principle which if rejected, which if rejected will damn your soul, but if accepted will save your soul. That Christ died in my stead. What a, what a wonderful gospel truth. If you accept this basic principle, then you go on to accept the person whom God provides. Now, there are many people and they, oh, they can accept the plan. They can accept the plan of salvation. They can sing about the wondrous cross. You know the most popular song to be sung in pubs and clubs by drunk people is what? When I survey the wondrous cross. What a tragedy. It's not enough to know the plan. You have to trust the person who executed the plan. And this is faith. It's laying hands on the head of the sacrifice and claiming all its merits as your own. Have you done that? Have you done that, dear soul? Because that's what we're going to do as we come to this table tonight as Christians. We're going to lay hands by faith upon the sacrifice once again. We, we accept the plan, but we embrace the person. Thirdly, there's something very significant here and it is the action of imputation. The worshipper who came with the offering, he confessed his sin over the sacrifice. He accepted the, that the victim uh, had to be slain and was his sacrifice. And in faith, he accepted that his guilt by divine punishment had passed from himself to the one that was being slain. And the Old Testament scriptures, they, they typically taught this foundational truth, not only in the Levitical offerings, but in all of those prophetical scriptures that point us to Calvary. I thought this morning with the mourned people, much of Isaiah, that mighty prophet who ministered through the wicked reign of Manasseh, and he spoke of the cross of Calvary in the 53rd chapter of his wonderful prophecy. He said, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is the Messiah. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. The stripes which the prophets spoke of, they were all due to our sin. And because of our iniquities, because the Lord laid on Christ the iniquity of us all, that was the just punishment of the law. That was the plan of redemption. All our iniquities, they're now transferred to Christ. They are now imputed to Christ. But the plan of redemption was much more than that because Isaiah could say, all the stripes came to be his but the healing which flowed from them came to be ours. 
That's a wonderful biblical truth. Paul took this simple truth of imputation, our sin being imputed to Christ, Christ's righteousness being imputed to us, and he taught it very clearly in many uh, verses of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is one of the clearest. He said, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a truth. We are made the righteousness of God in him. How? By divine imputation. Christ took our sins by his stripes were healed. And that healing brought his righteousness to our hearts and to our lives. That's the gospel. You didn't get it by signing a decision card. You didn't get it by joining a church. You got it by divine grace and permission. This act of imputation. Reverend Andrew Bonner in his wonderful commentary in Leviticus. He points out. That the literal rendering of this phrase in Leviticus 1 and 4, he shall put his hand, is literally translated, he shall lean his hand. Now the verse in which the same word is used is Psalm 88 and verse 7, and it simply says, Thy wrath leaneth hard on me. And what a thought is conveyed in that. We lean our souls, we, we lean by faith or all upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who bore the wrath of God upon our half, on our behalf. Likewise, we lean not only our sin upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we lean upon the one upon whom God put our sin. God put them on Christ. The happy Israelite who came to worship at the tabernacle he left his sins upon the sacrifice. And then what did he do? He stood aside. He stood aside. Now the sacrifice had to be slain. And what, what, a, what a picture of salvation. We bring our sins. We confess our sins. And through the stripes of the sacrifice, healing comes to our soul. And we stand aside as all of God's wrath is poured out upon that sacrifice. And that's what we're remembering tonight around this table. I want you to notice as we close this action of putting the hand upon the sacrifice. It just doesn't speak of imputation, confession. It speaks of identification. The worshipper desired to be identified with it. The blood would have been splattered upon that, that individual. The blood of the sacrifice was then sprinkled. We read upon the altar. And the way to God was opened up for that individual once again to approach unto the Lord. If that worshipper had been right in his own heart in coming uh, to the worship of God... He could have been able to say, as the animal was slain, this is what I deserved, but this is what God has spared me from. I deserve to die, but God's mercy spared me from it. As we partake of the, the broken bread, as we partake of the cup this evening, we remind ourselves of the body that was broken for us, of the blood that was shed for us. 
and we identify with all that Christ has done for us. There is no closer identification by taking that bread and eating it, by taking that cup and drinking it, and by faith identifying with what Christ has done for our souls. Can you imagine an, an Israelite who came to the tabernacle to worship and he didn't want to lay his hand on the sacrifice? He didn't want to make contact. You know, that's just like people who come to church and they, oh, they want to sing about Jesus and they want prayer to be made to God through Jesus' name and they're happy to hear about Jesus being preached but they don't want by faith to come into contact with Jesus. I pray that's not you this evening. I pray that you want to come into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And if you do so, you're going to have to, by faith, lay your hand upon him and call him yours and seek him for mercy and seek him for grace and seek him for pardon. I want every Christian, once again tonight, to find the ground of acceptance. The ground of acceptance is the work of Christ at the cross. It's not your strivings. It's not your perfection. It's not what you're doing or what you think you can do. It's not even your zeal for the Lord. It's what he has done for you. That's what it's about. And what he has imputed to you by faith. That's our sure standing tonight as we gather around this table. We're going to come to prayer. Just in a few moments we'll gather around this table in remembrance of Christ. You haven't come prepared to wait and maybe you don't know what to do. You're very welcome to wait with us if you're saved you're, and, and have made a profession of faith in Christ. You're, you're welcome to partake. If you're unsaved, you're, you're welcome to wait and to observe, but please do not partake of the emblems that are passed around. You'll not get to heaven by passing this sacrifice. And Christian, as we go to heaven, we need this remembrance of the sacrifice to keep us close to the Lord Jesus Christ.